to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight, we're going to look at the epistle reading for this coming Sunday, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. Here, the, the, the lesson is supposed to start halfway through verse 4, but I'll just start at the beginning because it's up on the screen. Paul writes, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here ends our text. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. Um, so, right, let's just, before we kind of dig into this, um, maybe just some some context here and give us the gist of what Paul is saying. He lists this kind of pedigree that he has, uh, being a Jew of high standing that, that he was, Hebrew of Hebrews, he calls himself. Um, wh- what is the purpose in kind of listing off this this pedigree? He's going to amplify what he had to make great the weight of that which he's given up. Mm. Right? Right. Right. He's given he's given this up. Right. And so this is something we, we might not often think about. Um, Paul wasn't just kind of your average everyday uh, Jew. He had... Uh, a long list of credentials in that community that would have given him a lot of standing among the religious leaders. And that's kind of what he's pointing to here, right? He is pointing to that, that he is, that's all in the past for mm-hmm. him. Now talk about standing. I mean, he lists it, right? He's an Israelite circumcised on the eighth day. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, as it were. He's in respect uh, to the law of Pharisee. So he's basically a lawyer. Right. He understands religious law. He's he's like the epitome of a religious leader of, of that time. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And these these were the ones um, with whom Jesus had so many arguments, debates, and discussions. Yes. Now, right. Also bear in mind, there's a bit of a difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And mm-hmm. one of the bigger differences is that the Sadducees basically did not believe in things spiritual. Mm-hmm. Right. And didn't believe in an in an afterlife. So at least as a Pharisee, there's a there's an 
there's an understanding that there's a spiritual dimension that God is spirit and all that stuff, and they have concerns for spiritual well-being. And and now he's saying how that all got messed up within his Pharisaical world, and he he throws that all away. Right. Well, that yeah, that's kind of one thing I wanted to talk about. Some of the stuff he lists isn't like intrinsically bad, right? Like he points to being righteous under the law, which um, good. it's good to be righteous under the law, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, and so, so what is the actual problem here? Is the problem more so that he was relying on that sort of righteousness for his justification? He's pointing yeah. religious if, things to. If you look at it, there's actually nothing wrong with any of it, is there? Right. Yeah. Well, persecutor, persecutor of the church. That's well, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll concede that one. Yeah. That, uh, but you know, for being born uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, following the rules of circumcision, he's a Pharisee. He's well educated. Yeah. Okay. So the persecutor of the church that that's no good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's he he keeps the law. He's of God's chosen people. It's all good except it's not. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there's a big reason why it's not. Right. And that reason is that he was depending on those things for his salvation. Right. That's right. the problem. Right. And, and that's a problem that we've seen throughout church history, right, is a reliance on um, like ceremonial deeds or religiosity for your, your justification or to somehow merit uh, salvation. Right. And so, um, I, I wanted to read one quote from Luther here because it's interesting. He draws a lot of parallels between what Paul is going through and what Luther went through before the reformation. And it, it kind of helps contextualize what, what Paul is saying here. Do you mind if I go ahead and read that? No, it's, it's good. Please read it. It just may make a little other introductory statement. It's quite fascinating to think about the similarities in their religious zeal and, and the fact that at some point God showed them, well, that's not going to cut it. Right. Yeah. Okay, please. Yeah. So Luther writes, therefore, if the righteousness of the law were worth anything, I would have remained a Pharisee quote for I too was a Pharisee and I pursued the traditions of the fathers with greater zeal than the false apostles do today. And yet I regarded them and all Judaism as of little worth End quote. Thus, I too suffered greater trouble in vigils and fasts when I was a monk than all those who persecute me today. I was superstitious to the point of delirium and insanity and to the jeopardy of my body and health. Whatever I did, I did with great zeal and for the sake of God. I adored the Pope sincerely, not out of a desire for prebends or riches. And yet in comparison with the righteousness of Christ, I threw away the Skabala. But our blind and hard-hearted opponents do not believe that I, as well as others, have had experience with such Pharisaism. Yeah, so interesting. Now, the, one, the one word there, the skibala, is just mm-hmm. a, the Greek word for dung. Okay. Think of a dung heap, right? Okay. But our blind and hard-hearted opponents do not believe that I, as well as others, have had experience with such Phariseeism. So his... Luther's saying here what that he was basically a Pharisee. Yeah, yeah, he, he's pointing to these 
kind of ceremonies that he went through and the sort of tortures that he endured for the sake of what he believed to be uh, a good religious cause, right? So he mentions like these vigils and fasts. And um, he points to that sort of like religiosity as something that he thought was good and something that like ultimately was like torturing him in a way. Yeah, he wasn't and, finding peace, was he? Right, right. And and then neither was Paul. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so we have contrasted here both with Paul and with Luther, a sort of at first a reliance on religiosity or, or ceremony in a way, or the law, you could say. And then finally a realization that that doesn't, make you righteous, right? That all of our righteousness comes from, from Christ forensically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if you want to be saved by what you do, how do you ever know when you've done enough? Right. Right. Cause that's really the big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, get back to that concept that there's really two religions in the world. One is a religion of works and all other religions teach that except biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and the second religion is a religion of faith in the son of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are the only two religions there's, but, but what happens is, and part of it is our sinfulness and that we want to do it ourselves. That's mm-hmm. part of it. Another is we try to do more because we still carry some guilt feelings, even though we don't need to, mm-hmm. and, but we want to somehow, maybe assuage our own guilt, but, but kind of tackle that by thinking, well, if I make God happy with me, then I'll feel better about myself. Right. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why this works. Righteousness is so appealing uh, to the old man Mm -hmm. and, and not to be derogatory, but basically it's, it's paganism in its purest form. Mm. So think about non-Christian worship. Non-Christian worship. Well, what do we have to do for God? Usually some sort of appeasement, right? Some sort of what? Appeasement. Appeasement, yes. So we have to pay God off. We have to appease God. But at some level in that non-Christian worship, they're trying, the person engaging that is trying to manipulate God. Hmm. Trying to hmm. buy, trying to buy him off. If 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 I slip the judge a bit of money before my sentencing is pronounced, will he give me a better sentence? Right. And and you know it's it's just sad. It's it's sad. Right. Yeah. No, I see what you mean, and it is like somewhat transactional when you look at it that way. Like that, there's like an amount of of guilt that you've incurred personally. And then there's something that you personally would need to do to somehow remit that guilt. And like, we, we see this manifested in, in different ways throughout church history. Like yes. um, our, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters still have this idea of, of indulgences that um, even though our sins are forgiven, they still carry some sort of temporal guilt or, or penalty that needs to be paid. Um, and that's, in their mind, traditionally done uh, in purgatory after you die, right? So everyone in purgatory, under their view, will still go to heaven, but they're kind of paying off this temporal guilt in purgatory. And that's something that they still need to take care of on their own. And that's somehow not covered by 
Christ's sacrifice, even according to their theology, right? And that's still official theology, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, uh, you can still get indulgences in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, right. so um, that's what Luther was facing 500 years ago. Right. And right. you get to the point of saying, okay, you got to ask yourself this one big question. Why did Jesus die? That That's the only question you need to ask. And the answer is, so that he could, as the Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. That's John the Baptizer, you know, points his finger at Jesus and says, behold. Right. So if we, if we understand the completion of Christ's work, then we can, we can start to relax a bit, can't we? Right. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, right. And that kind of gets back to the sort of paganism I think you were alluding to is this idea that there's anything that we could do to somehow remit this guilt that Christ hasn't already done for us. And that's, and that's where this kind of like religiosity comes in. I think that's the, the connection that you were making is that it seems like perhaps even in our own Lutheran tradition, there are people still trying to earn God's favor through ceremony, perhaps, or, or through rituals, through a sort of religiosity. And um, it's interesting. Like, so one of my Roman Catholic friends who's, who's listening tonight, I see him commenting. And so okay. we'll, we'll get to some of his comments uh, in just a sec. But um, he had showed me this quote where Luther had sent something about um, non-Christians, certain non-Christians being more religious or exhibiting more religiosity than even Christ himself. And he thought that was really problematic. But of course, Luther here was using this sort of religiosity in a negative uh, connotation, right? And um, so I think that's what you're speaking to, this sort of negative religiosity where people tried to unduly earn God's merit through some sort of ceremony or other act that they do, right? Right. And then also... I think in, in our modern time, we can add rules and regulations to our religious life that really don't help us. They just add burdens. Mm-hmm. And this was the complaint that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. You add burdens to men, burdens mm-hmm. which you yourselves are not willing to bear. Right. And so if our, but here's the, here's the real conundrum. We want to have a healthy religious life where we're fed with God's word and sacraments. Exactly. Okay. We and, want that. And, and we're called to, you know, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're called to worship in the old Testament. There's even a commandment about that honoring the Sabbath day. We're called. We, we, God wants us to spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to give us his word. He wants to give us his supper, uh, all that stuff. So we're called to do certain things to, to have our faith strengthened, but then it seems as though it it just gets added to and added to in respect to requirements and schedules and calendars and all that stuff. And that, that I think ends up being, well, it's problematic, right? Yeah. And, and this is the tension that we have to wrestle with, especially as Lutherans, because I think Lutherans and probably all Christians that are part of one of the historic communions, so Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Anglicans, probably all have been criticized as being legalistic in some way. Yep. So, or, or adding different things to worship that aren't mandated by scripture or sometimes aren't helpful. And so it is true. Like if you go into 
any of these churches, you're going to have an experience in worship with several different ceremonies. It's often very formalized. Um, there are different rules and etiquette that you're expected to follow. And um, to people outside of those traditions, it looks rigid. It looks legalistic. And um, a lot of people are just made uncomfortable by those things. Yeah. I, but, I know some people who are made uncomfortable by those things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. But like, as you said, the tension here though is um, with that in mind, like how do we strike the right balance? Because like there, there obviously you do want to act a certain way when you're in worship, you want to have etiquette, decorum, reverence. These are things we, we desire to have and, and they're good God, things. God is not a God of disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So we want our, our worship services to be orderly. We want them to be uplifting, uh, faith building. We want them to be coordinated and at some level professionally done almost. Okay. Yeah. Formalized then, in some way. But then you get this verse from Colossians 2, which we talked about. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink mm -hmm. or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And yet we, you know, the show is based on the, basically on a lectionary series. It's, it's, it's a calendar. It's a, <laughs> right. It's a new moon. It's a Sabbath. It's, we have some order, but, but see, here's the thing. We have freedom to impose some of this order on ourselves for the sake of having a good religious life. Mm -hmm. But when, when they become requirements or when it's impressed upon us that somehow if you don't follow worship or religion the way we do, that you're spiritually in trouble, mm -hmm. then, then it's wrong. Then it's wrong. Right. Okay. Right. So, so that's one end of the spectrum is imposing some sort of extra biblical norm on religion and making it a requirement for Christian life. And so we, we saw that certainly, um, in the Reform Reformation era Roman Catholic Church, and that's one of the, one of Luther's biggest complaints with that church was that, you know, they're requiring you to attend mass and all these different feasts and festivals, and basically mandating um, the observance of these things. And my Roman Catholic friend who's who's watching now can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure there are still like requirements for Roman Catholic Christians to attend mass at least once a week and confession. I think a couple times a year. He'll, he'll correct me if I'm wrong about that. But um, we as Lutherans would probably shrink away from those sorts of requirements and, and say that is like a form of legalism that we're describing here. But at the same time, like I've seen similar things in Lutheran circles, oh, right? Sure. Where people will say like, oh, if you're not using this certain setting of the divine service, then that's like an illicit form of worship or... um you know, it's, it's, it's not as good as what we're doing. And it, there becomes, there becomes a certain legalism and a comparison and all of that. Uh, in, in Galatians five, Paul writes for freedom, Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul say to you that if you accept, accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. 
Now here he's specifically talking about Old Testament requirements mm-hmm. and that keeping of the law. Mm-hmm. But I think we too in, in our era in, have imposed laws on ourselves that once we start to think that those are requirements to salvation, instead of a means by which God communicates his grace to us, right. then we have a problem. Right. See, it, 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 it's, you know, how are you looking at this? Are are these gatherings and things the way that God blesses us through his word and sacrament, or are they things that we must needs do in a specific way? Right. And no, right. it has to be worship. Our worship life should be geared around receiving God's word and, and blessing and not fulfilling some requirement, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So for us Lutherans who desire well-ordered worship and um, do find value in the sort of ceremonies that one might find in a traditional Lutheran church. Cause that's the other side of the story here. Like we don't want to somehow imply that every ceremonial church or the churches that engage in these formalized ceremonies are doing it because of like some pagan reason of wanting to merit favor with God. Right. And, right. and, and, and if we have freedom, then we have the freedom to have an organized liturgical type of service. We have that right. freedom, right? We have the freedom to do it, but when yes. it becomes a necessity a requirement, and that's kind of the hint within our world that it's a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then it's wrong, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and, and that is, I, I think, the thing that we see in some Lutheran circles is that um, some people will say that our confessions require a certain liturgical form or something like that. Right, and part of that we've talked about before that the confessions talk about. Well, yeah, we're still doing this. We're still doing that. They're describing some of the things they still do, but it, it doesn't mean that we then have to do what they did 500 years ago when they were trying to still fit in within the religious world of that day. Mm-hmm. We're not changing everything. Look, we still do this. We still do this. We still do this. And sadly, some of us in our day take that as a mandate that we have to still do this, this, and this. Right. But it's being held up as a description of their behavior through time to minimize the attacks coming from their enemies, as it were. Right. Right. And what does James write? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Right. That's a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you were saying, uh, as we were prepping for this, it does seem that sometimes a lot of the focus in our Lutheran churches are about liturgy and uh, worship life the things we're doing within the church. And so it, it, stuff like the the James verse that you just read is an important reminder that um, that's not the only function of the church. There's supposed to be other things that we are concerned about rather than, uh, you know, making our liturgy as excellent as it could possibly be. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I like good worship. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's another verse we want to read from Micah chapter six. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And here's the ultimate verse here. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, which basically is, you know, the greatest commandment, and what's what's the second to it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your neighbors yourself. 
Right. That's religion. Right. And in some ways, we maybe needed to, to define faith and religion. Faith is our childlike trust in God. Religion is how we carry out our, our life of faith in a way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the expression of our faith in our activity. Right. And, and we have to remember that what we do in our religious life is flowing out of a regenerate and thankful heart not out of, oh, I have to appease God type of logic. Right, right. That, that's, I think, where we can really get in trouble, where we think we're appeasing God with what we do in our religious life and, and, not, and, and missing the whole point that Christ truly, freely forgives you all your sins. Yeah, all your yeah. Sins. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's... Avoid exactly. legalism, but appreciate... And, and, and worship is a big part of our life as Christians, but it's it's surely not the only part. Mm-hmm. I think James and Micah make that quite clear mm-hmm. that you know we should be out helping people who are in need, that we should be just in our actions with our neighbors, that we should love kindness and things like that. And and sometimes I don't think we always come off as that loving and kind. Right. No, no, that's right. It's certainly something we need to keep in mind uh, more often. Now, now maybe we can end with this. Um, so what would we say to a Lutheran who, or any Christian really, who was particularly concerned with the, the quality of their worship, who perhaps is able to make practical determinations between forms of worship that might be more appropriate to the divine service and other forms of worship that might be less appropriate? Like It, it does seem like we were able to make some kind of practical determinations like that okay, this liturgy is full of scripture. It confesses our beliefs particularly well. Uh, so, so we want to do this form of worship over another kind. But how, how do we still make those sorts of evaluations and not slip into the sort of legalism that you've described? Right. So first off, we have to keep in mind that we, we have this freedom in Christ and let, let no one judge you in respect to a whatever. Mm-hmm. And secondly... You know, I, I kind of marvel. I like our Lutheran theology, but I also understand that obviously our worship is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And and there are other churches out there that meet people's needs in their worship life. I, I think that it, if people need to find a worship life that has good theology embedded in it mm-hmm. and that feeds their soul with, with good law, gospel preaching and reading of scripture and the singing of, of, great, of great hymns with, with good theological content as well. Mm-hmm. We use liturgy, which is which are basically short little hymns that we sing all the time mm-hmm. because they're so good, right? Right. And a lot of it's just taken right out of scripture and, and put to music. That's why we do that to to embed deep in our hearts and minds those those core truths of Christ's birth and Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. We do that over and over again to remind us because we so easily forget. So we need to find a, a way to worship that is glorifying to God that isn't that isn't restricted by a legalism that allows for flexibility, but still engages or employs a certain decorum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. I think that's good advice. Because what we as Christian people want to do is make sure that we hear the gospel message clearly, frequently, and that we're empowered by that gospel message to, to relax. Right. And then to live out our Christian lives in a way where we do walk humbly with God and we do act justly and to love kindness. Right. Right. 
And so however we perform our liturgy or our worship, we should keep in mind a true religion according to uh, what what James says. And also um, have in the front of our minds the spirit of Christian freedom and charity and uh, realizing that even some of these forms of worship that we might regard as less appropriate than others, uh, God still uses those in, in in ways to reach people, no doubt. Yeah, where his word is, then he's going to reach people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we should be a little less judgmental on occasion. <laughs> right. Good. Okay. All right. Thanks everyone for their chats and greetings. It uh, it's, it's good to read the comments. And- yeah. Thanks for all the interactions tonight. My uh, Roman Catholic friend um, is confirming some of the things I'd said uh, about requirements to go to mass. So thank you for that uh, dart. And, yeah, it's good. It's yep. a sin to not, I can show that, right? Yeah. It's a sin to not attend mass. Okay. Okay. Um, and yeah, then that, so we, um, okay. Another, another good point. Thank you. So I, I think the idea here is for, for me, what we used to always say to our children is they, oh, do we have to go to church? Mm-hmm. No, you get to go to church. <laughs> right. Okay. Like confession's a good thing. You 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 unload, you hear words of absolution from your priest or pastor. Mm-hmm. Like that's a good thing. Right. But then if it's turned into a law, well then maybe it's not a good thing. Right. Re- receiving the Lord's Supper is a good thing. But when it when it becomes a law that you have to do or something, well, that is that is that grace still? Right. Right. That that's a good point. And that, that's where our law gospel distinction just comes in so helpful. Because the, the Lord's Supper is something that's meant to be pure gospel. Pure right? gospel. Exactly. Something like that, baptism. Like baptism. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. pure gospel. You know, oh, do I have to have the Lord's Supper? <laughs> wow. It's like like my wife saying to me, honey, I just dished out some ice cream. Oh, do I have to eat that? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, yeah. It's silly. We, we we're so we're so torqued and twisted that that we look at the, these gifts that God gives us and we somehow turn them into to musts and 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 oblig- obligations, mm-hmm. where where Christ is simply extending His open arms to us and saying, "Come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. You better close this off, or we'll just keep going. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll close with the collect. Okay. Thank you. Enlighten our minds, we pray, O God, by the Spirit who proceeds from You, that. As your Son has promised, we may be led into all truth. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.